Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the PPRL podcast, as well as the brand new, and this is news for my guest, Pod of Ice and Fire. <laughs> uh, I'm, we're here to talk about Game of Thrones because we like it and people wanted to talk about it. Uh, and I'm here with my special guest, who you heard ooing, Matt Schmidt. Say hello, Matt. Hello, Pat, and everyone else. The the honestly like five or six people that might listen to this. <laughs> the very few of us that watch the show and get way too into it. Exactly. Uh, so, Matt, um, I had a long conversation with Aaron Lauder on the pod about uh, Game of Thrones. It actually went way longer than I thought it would. I didn't realize <laughs> it was going to go so deep. And, uh, and so we decided maybe we should do it again. And so here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we're recording this um, on the 23rd, is it? Yes, it August is the 23rd. 23rd. Uh, so the first six episodes of season seven have aired, but the seventh and final episode of the season has not yet. And so this is all about um, how uh, season seven so far, how we think it might conclude and, and what might happen with the show going forward. Um, so, um, I think, I think we should get into it. Any, any, uh, opening salvos that you want to fire? Um, I mean, I think the main thing about this season is that they've just given up on any sort of linearity of time. Um, like everything happens instantly. Everyone seems to be able to travel hundreds or thousands of miles within a day or 12 hours or sometimes like five minutes. Um, and I think even one of the showrunners commented, they're like, yeah, it wasn't really uh, make much sense that a raven could get all the way out to Danny and then she could get all the way to the wall in the space of what is like maybe a night. We don't even know. Um, it's it's Everything has been happening so crazy because they have to finish it up. So what, there are seven episodes this season and six next season? Yes, and I do understand that the episodes will probably be pretty long for the last season, so it might be closer to like eight or nine episodes worth of time, uh, okay. but done in six episodes, but still not a lot of time. Right, and they have so much to wrap up, um, but it's just crazy. Like I was looking at, someone made a very intricate, like true to scale map online, um, and from, for Danny, Daenerys to cross over the ocean from Essos to Westeros is like one-fifth of the distance from her to get to Dragonstone to the Wall. So, like, logically, she could have flown over on her dragons at, like, any point and just started messing stuff up for, like, two seasons now. Yeah, I mean, that part I, I understand. Like, you know, most of the time that she was not invading Westeros was her, like, you know, getting bogged down with like trying to overthrow slavers and trying to build up an army like the traveling that aspect of the traveling did not bother me too much but a lot of other aspects of the traveling did bother me (laughs) um (laughs) uh it is ridiculous so my i agree my thoughts are um similar like they're obviously rushing it big time i can't i of course um i haven't read any of the books have you read any of the books I've read all the books. Oh, okay. Well then, this will be a good uh, convo. Um, I obviously am aware. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty aware of the. Uh, you know, I read a lot of stuff about the show, mostly from the former Grantland, now Ringer people who are very into the books and the show. Um, so I, I, I have a frame of reference for what is different from the books and the show, but I don't mm-hmm. personally have the experience. Um, so obviously, I'm aware that the show is well past the books at this point. Um, and and I just don't know how much, like, what percentage of the blame is just because they're trying to do it in very few episodes because they just have to wrap this up, or if it's because they don't have the the, the guidance anymore of, of George R. R. Martin. Um, I know that they were given a broad outline of the uh, path for the plot, but but not. I'm sure it wasn't intricately detailed, and so right. I, I, I the plotting has obviously been a little bit problematic this season so far. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in the books, Daenerys is in Slaver's Bay or all those cities for forever. Like, it drags on and on and on. Um, so it made sense that she was there for so long. I just thought the the comparison is it's literally like one-sixth or one-seventh the distance 
that it took her to get to the wall in the last episode to go yeah. across the narrow sea. It's just a very visual representation of, wow, stuff's really happening fast. It's like one of the, it's like that um, riddle where you have like one raft and there's like a, a, a wolf and a goat and a chicken or something. And but like, she'd have to do like eight hundred thousand uh dragon flights to get her whole army over if she didn't do it on a boat uh so so they just wanted they to start avoid that fighting problem. each other on the other side exactly yeah you can only have like like the dothraki can't be on the same dragon as uh the unsullied and so you know you can only fit like four or five people per flight uh but yeah so um my thoughts overall i'll, I'll talk a little bit about season seven so so yes the biggest issue is that they're rushing things, um, but they're doing so in an inconsistent manner. And so it's fun sometimes that it's going so fast because a lot happens every episode, but in other times it just makes, it just seems like such a stretch either logically or it's, uh, it's obviously just trying to advance a certain plot. And so then it becomes illogical. And so as a consequence of this, I thought, um, for instance, I thought like episodes two through four were pretty fun. They were kind of the action packed episodes. Um, with with some good battles and things like that but um episode one was kind of a normal season opener i thought it was surprisingly slow when i knew that it was going to be such a short season and they kind of just did what they always do by kind of like reminding you of where everyone is and so it was it was surprisingly different from the rest and then i thought episodes five and six the most recent two were um also very fast but much more focused on moving the plot forward and getting people in specific places and so it was that was when it really started to fall apart a little bit for me as far as the the pacing what do you think yeah i uh, i agree with you especially in the first episode i i feel like the showrunners really wanted to emulate edgar wright in that scene from um uh, what's the movie he did where they, they go to be cops in the small English town that the Hound is also in. Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz, where they do the thing where it shows time passing by him, like, getting on trains, and then day, days pass, nights pass. And I felt like that was the same thing with Sam and, and, like, emptying out chamber pots and feeding people and doing scrolls. It was a very interesting way of showing that time is passing, but it's like, do we really need three minutes of it? <laughs> Yeah, it's really, yeah, like that was already annoying, like when it first showed it, but then now in hindsight, when they've rushed so many other aspects of this season, like that's extra aggravating, (laughs) they like spent so much time just like, yep, people poop and puke a lot, that's good. (laughs) Sam does a lot of busy work. And I guess they're trying to establish it uh, to be realistic for him to leave, Uh, like there's really very little for him there, and so don't. Don't be so surprised when he leaves uh, his dream to become a maester. I don't know. It's pretty crazy that he cured an inc- basically incurable disease, and they're all like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, just, just <laughs> like keep they, copying these scrolls. They really do not give a crap at all, at all. And he cured this incurable disease that turns people into weird stone monsters. Yeah. Yeah, he, and yeah. That, that was also gross. Oh, my God. I don't know if you read The Ringer, but... Um, one of the uh, the contributors who also contributed to Grantland was a big Cubs fan um, and a dermatologist, Rainy Gisaerly. Uh He actually, his office is like literally down the street from my apartment. Um, really? So I, I walk past his office every day. Uh, but anyway, he wrote uh, an, a breakdown of that scene from the perspective of an actual dermatologist because they <laughs> happen to have a dermatologist on staff, essentially. So uh, he really, he thought it was good technique overall. But But then at the end, he's like, he was very upset about the um, the lack of sanitation. Uh, not even like obviously like they don't have like you know modern sanitation, but like he essentially just like touched him, you know, and like yeah. grabbed grabbed the uh, wine straight out of his hand and stuff like that. Like he, he was uh, that was where it really fell apart. But otherwise, he liked the technique and he he thought the uh, gross oozing pus was was well done. So. Mm-hmm. That's that's one of the problems with this season. I I, th- I mean, overall, I think it's been pretty great, and a lot of stuff, cool stuff, is happening. But nothing has any time to breathe. Like nothing gets to sink in. It's it's like they took twenty seventeen. It's like hey, all this crazy stuff's happening all the time, and no one really has prop has the proper opportunity to like cont- contextualize or think about things too much. It's just stuff constantly happening. So um, you're saying feels- that. Season seven of Game of Thrones is the perfect season for the calendar year 2017. 
I think so. I think it's very reflective of the times, whether or not that was purposeful. I mean, you know, no one, no one has like time to think about what's happening. They're just doing something, doing something, doing something, except for all the weird, like ominous standing and watching people that's going on in Winterfell. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I think I'm going to get a little more granular now. Um, specifically. So my, my main resources, as I said, is the ringer. So they have, they have ask, a weekly Ask the Maester um, video and article. They do a recap, of course, and then they have immediately after the show, they do a Talk the Thrones, which annoyingly is only on Twitter and Periscope. Um, but uh, so they, they go pretty deep and Mallory Rubin and Jason Concepcion both both are very versed, uh, some of the foremost Game of Thrones experts. And so that's kind of my main frame of reference for the analysis. Um, and they have like... They really, I think, loved the whole season until the most recent episodes, episode six, Beyond the Wall. And mm-hmm. whereas I and uh, Jen, we had soured a little bit, like episode four, episode five, especially. So episode five was Eastwatch. Um, right. And that was obviously the, the episode where they came up with this stupid plan to capture a white to supposedly <laughs> convince Cersei to join their fight. Um, and that, that was like, that made no sense at all to begin with. Um, but they, but the, like talk the Thrones people really liked the episode because of course they were preoccupied by the reveal of, uh, Jon Snow being legitimate. And so they, they kind of, I think kind of glossed over the stupidity of the plan. Um, and then when episode six happened there, they, they kind of tore it up a little bit and I thought it was very foreseeable how dumb episode six was going to be uh, based on just the ridiculous idea in the first place. Yeah. And I, I think we can go into this a little bit more when we talk about the upcoming season finale, but it's, I mean, has no one told them about uh, the, the undead monster that Gregor Clegane has become? <laughs> Cause it's not like you're proving that the undead exists at this point. Well, I've actually, it, that's, Something that bugged me about the show, too, is just like, oh, yeah, others, whatever. No one really believes it. Meanwhile, you have a giant undead monster who's the main thug of the queen of the entire kingdom. And everyone's like, no, that's ridiculous. How could undead creatures exist? It's like, well, there's one right over there. And we also have Jon Snow, whose legend has probably spread far and wide. And we also have Beric Dondarrion. Who's, who's come back to life like times. seven times. <laughs> yeah. So we've got a lot of people who are undead to some degree. Um, and like, obviously all the people to the North of the wall, you know, like earlier seasons, like uh, the people who um, Craster, Craster, uh, mm-hmm. you know, gave up his children to the white walkers. And like, obviously the people in the North believed it a little bit more, but, uh, but yeah, it just seems weird that if there's all this, there's a lot of magic and a lot of resurrection, and yet uh, it, it's just showing one white. Um, and okay, so let's let's get into this plan because this is like obviously the dumbest thing and it makes me so mad. So first of all, <laughs> it makes no sense, obviously, that, that this would convince Cersei. She is scheming. She will do anything to protect her own power. She will murder anyone, including like an entire, like the entire center of power for the, uh, where she lived like there's no she already blew up the tower uh just so that she could be in power like there's no way that she will just accept this evidence that you provide and not want to kill you um so so oh, just yeah. the very premise of it is stupid um but second of all so here's the big big what if in my mind so obviously the way it played out um first of all it didn't go great uh they they got surrounded and somehow survived except for uh, a few exceptions, uh, but then except they, for Thoros and some red shirts. Exactly. Uh, I, the uh, term that they used on uh, Talk the Thrones, which I I don't know if it spread all over the internet, but I thought it was hilarious. Was sled shirts, uh, <laughs> and I it's really true. thought that was good. The only time you saw them was when they were hauling a sled of something, which didn't even exactly. appear to be supplies. Which you'd think, if you're going to be beyond the wall for an indeterminate amount of time, you maybe want to like bring some food or something. Yeah, food. Um, maybe your uh, freaking direwolf would be a good idea. <laughs> I don't know. Um, maybe more of the dragon glass that you spent uh, an unknown amount of time mining. 
Um, it just, they were not prepared. Uh, they did, obviously they didn't bring any Ravens themselves was pointed out in talk the thrones. Like if, if they if communication, if the whole point of this is to spread the word, um, not bringing any Ravens with you was a bad idea. Um, but here's the thing, here's the thing I wanted to point out that I haven't seen discussed anywhere. So maybe this is dumb and I just didn't, I don't know why it's dumb, but my question is if they hadn't been saved by Daenerys and fly, flied away, flown away, there we go, uh, on a dragon, <laughs> was their plan to march back to the wall and take the white through the gate and south, obviously, uh, all the way um, to the Iron Throne? Like, isn't the wall a magic ward against the undead? Yeah, it's not entirely clear um i mean the mythology is that bran the builder built it uh, i think it's something like 800 years ago and it's made of both ice and magic so you assume that it has some sort of warding power beyond just being you know a mile thick slab of ice or however however thick it is to keep the white walkers and whites out but you know but then again if if it is a magical wall and everyone's freaking out about what happens if they get past the wall, it's like, well, how are they even going to do that unless the wall is destroyed? Which, spoiler alert, is one of my predictions for the season finale. Yeah, I I just I thought it would be really funny if they had this ridiculously bad idea and then they like bring the white to the wall and then just like disintegrates as soon as he like passes through the threshold <laughs> and it was all for nothing. Um, but I think possibly, and this is part of my, I mean, it's not even a prediction at this point cause they pretty much showed it, but like, I'm guessing that perhaps the dragon flight allows them to circumvent that a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. and so perhaps they, if they fly over the wall, it doesn't matter as much, which might, uh, matter for Ooh. the night King with, uh, now having an evil ice dragon. Yeah. Right. Um, so, other issues, uh, as discussed, the um, the time, the traveling speeds. Um, I don't know exactly how far it was supposed to be um, to have to run back to get the Raven scent um, for uh, so for Gendry. But so there's first him running to back to the wall, and then there was the Raven to go to Daenerys, and then Daenerys to fly to them. All of that had happened, and, and it seemingly happened in one night was the implication. Right. And for that entire night, the the Whites and the White Walkers are just standing there because some of them fell through the ice um, in this land of always winter uh, that is always cold and freezing and snowing, and it's particularly cold now because winter has come, and yet the ice is thin enough to not support uh, a big army of undead soldiers. Um, so, so the time, the, the traveling thing, uh, I saw another thing online. You saw, you saw the, the flight of, of Danny, uh, Danny. Um, another thing I saw was the amount of distance that the white walkers traveled since the battle of Hardhome, and the amount that John traveled since the battle of Hardhome, And it was like a little red line on the very top of the map because they moved like just they moved like uh, like a hundred miles or something. Whereas Dan, uh, whereas John had been like up and down and around the entire <laughs> continent like five times. Uh, it's just it's just this green line that went all circling like three times the entire continent, and and uh, the White Walkers have just been doing nothing. I guess just waiting for their moment for the wa- for the wall to fall or something. Um, mm-hmm. But but also this episode showed that they aren't slow when they want to be. They were sprinting like faster than humans on the ice and got them surrounded. Um, so it's not like they're they're too slow to do it. But yeah, it was it was absurd. Absurd. <laughs> also, the fact going back to the them just standing around because a few of them fell through the ice. Later, some of them swim up to a new hole in the ice to start dragging Tormund Giant's Bane down. Like they just emerge from the ice water. So like apparently they can swim, but it doesn't matter because none of them realize that. At, until the very end they also can swim so well enough to attach massive chains to uh, a dead dragon so uh <laughs> you know <sighs> so, a- actually um, one of the things i saw was one of the things i read was like where did those chains come from which is a good point because if, if they have a weakness to fire they, they enforce in those chains but I, I would think like 
there are people beyond, you know, they're the giants, or there were giants at least, and perhaps they probably had some forging capabilities, so maybe they're supposed to be giant chains that were forged that they somehow came across, but... Maybe they maybe there's like a giant blacksmith that every year offers a very huge chain, just like Craster offered his <laughs> children uh, every year. Uh, so maybe. it's just, just offerings to the white to the white walkers uh that yeah a lot of people were were bugging out about the chain and and, and i thought it, i thought it was absurd as well um it's really as as if you listen to the aaron lauder episode i i laughed very hard at him saying it was not a realistic <laughs> way to take down a dragon and so yeah <laughs> you, you have to pick your battles with your suspension of disbelief and and so it, it, you really always threading a fine line as far as you know which things you decide are absurd and which things you just accept as true but but yes the the chain was kind of silly certainly um other big things in the episode what did you think of the aria sansa stuff that's been uh, the talk of the internet as well <laughs> oh man um Actually, I think one of my favorite parts of the episode was Sansa's slow realization that all of her siblings are now complete sociopaths. Yeah, I, like I do feel face, a little bad for her. <laughs> like her face she, just she like goes away. falling. Yeah, she goes away and gets like tortured and abused for years. And then she has this joyous reunion with two of her siblings and they're both just completely insane now. It's kind of weird because, you know, I feel like Arya was kind of like the fan favorite character. It's like, oh, she's this awesome girl who's throwing off her gender expectations. And she went and she learned how to be this total badass and a faceless man. And it's like, okay, she had this kill list. And it's like, okay, before it was, that's kind of cute and whatever. And then she goes on this rant about wearing people's faces and what it would be like to wear her sister's face. And it's just like, oh, she's way more messed up than I think anyone ever really realized. Yeah. And and so my take on this is like obviously she's been like she's been really mean and un, not understanding of Sansa this season. Um you know, like she obviously reacted a lot to the note that she was found that Littlefinger wanted her to find. Um mm-hmm. and and some people thought that she was like way over the top and she turned into like a super villain essentially. I thought um in general her reaction was consistent with her character. Um like her kill list and her revenge and just like, you know, being all about vengeance. And, and so like the fact that she was mad and unforgiving of Sansa is, is consistent. And and so I think the tone of her reaction was, was fine. Obviously like threatening to wear her face was crazy. Um, and, and handing her um, the Valerian steel dagger was weird. And I don't know what it was supposed to, to accomplish. Um, yeah. But... I wondered that too. I had no idea. She's like, Oh here. And by the way, like maybe like, I so don't care if you think I'm crazy. Here's my dagger and I'm going to walk away. So you can stab me in the back with it. Like I don't, I have no idea what they were going for. Yeah. And also just in general, like why would you keep the, the faces in a random bag? I mean, that just seems <laughs> like a bad idea. You got, those are, if you are like, trained elite assassin with the ability to change faces like you probably those are pretty valuable to you and you might want to you know put them someplace safer but i don't know one would think i saw this really interesting theory that um that this is all an elaborate ruse to set up Littlefinger, and it kind of was based on the bag of faces basically being like well Arya could be sneaking around winterfell as a totally different person and Littlefinger would have no idea that she's following him and spying on him, but she's not doing that. And it doesn't make sense given the fact that she has the bag of faces, presumably some of which at least you would never recognize. Like if she were to be the other acolyte of the faceless men, she put on that face and walked around Winterfell. Like no one would really know who that was. I've seen two and a half theories. So I'll, I'll skip ahead. I'm not quite done with episode six yet, but because, because we're talking about it now, there, there's two theories and one offshoot um, about this that I think are interesting. <clears throat> one of them um, is just that um, the waif is actually Arya, and and so Ar- the waif won the fight, and the whole ever since then the person that we know as Arya has actually been the waif, um, and so it's uh, and and so that's why she's like extra psycho and and not making any sense to some people. Um, they, they think that she's, she's acting crazy. Um, I don't, I haven't 
looked into the theory at all, so I can't say, I don't know the, the details of how it would work, but just overall, it just seems too ridiculous. And also, um, with both of these two Arya theories, um, they both involve the show like deliberately hiding the ball in a way that they've never done before. And I just right. don't see, like, obviously they, it prides itself on having twists with like who will live and who will die. And like, you know, life being unfair and things like that. But they, they have never just done a surprise where it's like, just kidding. Gotcha. And so I don't think that either of these are too likely, but the other one that was more interesting to me and certainly more plausible to me was that, um, Littlefinger, when he was talking to Sansa and uh, suggesting that Brienne is could be her bodyguard um, and would protect her from from Arya, and and that whole conversation, some people have thought that that was actually Arya changing into Littlefinger because Arya was testing uh, Sansa's loyalty to see if she would sick Brienne on her. And so um, and so she passed the test essentially by sending Brienne uh, to meet with Cersei uh, at King's Landing. And so that makes a lot more sense to me, and that would explain some of Arya's weird behavior. But then that gets to the question of how would she have turned into Littlefinger? Did she already murder Littlefinger? Um, right, or and we've seen developed... both of them. We've seen both of them in the same shot as recently as episode five. So, yeah, well, yeah, yeah it had been a recent thing. Yeah, it's plausible, but I don't know. It seems it, it seems like Littlefinger is is too cool of a character to just off in the background. I think there's too many people that want to see him get his just desserts for them to just quietly kill him. Off yeah, and then and then rewind. Yeah, exactly. That's just the main thing is just that they I don't see them like pulling a fast one and being like, just kidding, who you thought was, uh, you know, who you thought was Littlefinger was actually Arya the whole time. Um, so I don't think it's likely, but it would explain why she did what she did a little bit. Um, but yeah, yeah I, I, I'm guessing. I would think that Arya is already onto Littlefinger and she doesn't actually believe as much as she's indicating, uh, that Sansa, uh, betrayed, you know, the family. Um, but I don't know how they're going to play it out exactly. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. One thing I thought was funny was, uh, Sansa, when she sent Brienne off, she was like, hurry up or you're going to miss it in a season where everyone gets everywhere instantly. They made a point of <laughs> yeah. being like, gotta hurry up or maybe you won't make it in time. Yeah, that was absurd. And so is that the same meeting that everyone is going to? Is that like the invite for like proving the white exists? Like, is this everyone for one thing or is that a separate invite? I think that Cersei sent out these invites. Um, it's just like, a coming together meeting, which will probably lead to some sort of terrible betrayal or whatever. Um, and I think that John is separate is separately planning. I could be wrong, but I think John was separately planning to bring her the white. And now it's all, all these threads are going to kind of come together. So there's going to be a giant meeting of all the major players. Yeah. And that's obviously happening. This, you know, they, they revealed this a, a fair amount before the season even started and especially during the you know next episode clip so obviously everyone's converging on king's landing um to some extent next this in the finale um but but yeah i just wasn't clear on whether those were directly linked or if they just happened to converge um any so last wrapping up episode six before we really dive into the the predictions um obviously uh viserion dying was was sad and now he is an evil ice dragon uh any any thoughts on our departed and resurrected friend <laughs> i'm actually curious as to what like what is a white walker or ice dragon like is he going is the is the dragon now going to become white are we just going to have like a snow white dragon is it going to still breathe fire or is it going to breathe ice or maybe some sort of weird cold fire that doesn't make sense in reality but makes sense in the world of the show yeah, it is thematically I would want him to blow ice, uh, you know, or some sort of like chilling breath. Right. Like um, a Superman cold breath. Exactly. I would want that. And it obviously would have to be like super destructive to be like the equivalent of what they've shown with the dragons breathing fire. Um, but as far as what they show with the, not the white walkers, but the whites, which I'm assuming this is the, you know, dragon equivalent of a white. Um, mm -hmm. 
those have just show, looked like you know shambling zombie people that don't like have any superpowers and they don't they just look like decaying normal humans and they don't seem to have any special attributes or anything um so if it were to be consistent i would think it might just be like a zombie dragon that acts like a normal dragon otherwise but i don't know yeah the show's been really weird about like the creation of white walkers and whites as separate things it was something that i thought about when they took out the the white walker and all of the whites conveniently except for one like instantly collapse um like cause, like the thing is if you die beyond the wall you just automatically become a white it's what happens it's why they burn thoros's body so he doesn't reanimate at some point and try to murder them all so i'm not clear what the connection is between the white walkers and the whites and then like you talked about Craster earlier and how he sacrificed all of his children. And then very early on in, in season one, you see the Night King, you know, touch one of the babies on the forehead and then its eyes turn blue. And we're supposed to believe that that turns the baby into a White Walker, which, of course, leads to the question of are there just little like baby White Walkers somewhere? Does the Night King like raise them in a home? Can that be a separate spinoff show where it's just like the super <laughs> creepy child rearing show of the Night King raising all these creepy babies with bright blue eyes? Like, so but obviously, this is... they're like a real handful, you know. So zany oh, yeah. things happen. They uh, they really get into a lot of trouble. Those, those <laughs> all baby all sorts of shenanigans, and then just creepy Night King like burping babies, I guess, and changing them. But he's very exasperated, and he has like spit up on his shoulder. <laughs> changing little baby diapers right so yeah so do the white walkers control the whites but that doesn't really make sense if the white walkers don't specifically create the whites and if it was just like an area effect then I, i don't recall the one that survived being particularly far away from the white walker so i i it doesn't feel like an area effect but it also doesn't there's no real clear basis for the connection that if you kill a white walker you kill the whites under its control so okay uh, if we're really gonna dive deep and this is just spitballing here i haven't read anything about this or anything obviously on the show they specifically said like you know all the ones he turned died or something like that like they they, they verbalized it um once he killed the white walker and then the other ones disintegrated um so i right. think that's the theory they're running with but but i agree you know, we have seen just random people who died turn into whites without any known interaction with the White Walkers. And also we've seen, was it the Night King specifically, or was it just a random White Walker who touched the babies and turned them? Um, no, I think it was, the. I, I'm pretty sure it was the first time you see the Night King. He's, they had that baby like on the altar and he comes and touches it on the forehead and then it spreads or whatever. So like maybe the night king can create white walkers and white walkers can create whites and so some of them are created by the white walkers having killed humans or turned them and the others are just people who died north of the wall i don't know i'm trying to you know rationalize a strange mysticism that is not well explained but that's just just reaching out there yeah, I'm actually, I just I just Googled Night King turns baby, and the second result is, where are the baby White Walkers? <laughs> yeah. so apparently I'm not the only one to have that thought. <laughs> um, so let's, since we're talking about it now, this is like partially f- outlandish theory, partially predictions, but we're talking a lot about the, the mechanics of the Night King. Let's, let's dig into that a little bit. Um, so... One thing that I said they talked about on Talk the Thrones is perhaps um, the Night King is a super powerful warg, um, and so he controls the undead, just like Bronn can, uh, you know, warg into humans and animals, and that's mm. why the Night King was able to disperse the ravens that Bronn was, uh, Bran was warging into, um, right. and so that would make sense to me as as kind of like an explanation of the magic involved. Um, and then the other thing that is, that's obviously, I think, growing important and probably going to be the reveal is I think the Night King is a Stark. Um, I don't think he is Bran Stark, but I think he is a Stark from, from back in the day. And that they, especially because if you've seen the 
side by sides of how they changed the look of the Night King from like the first appearance to this season, they kind of made his face look a lot more like Bran uh, in his facial features, and so I think that's deliberate. And I think he's going to end up being like a. I think I think Bran is gonna like you know time travel memory and see. Uh, he's going to see who the, the Night King is. I know they showed the the children of the forest creating the Night King, but I think he's going to go back further and see that that guy is, a, is one of his ancestors. Yeah, this is one of the, the one of the differences between the books and the show. Um, I mean, George R. R. Martin basically said that the Night King is like a figure of history who probably isn't alive anymore. Um, so that seems like they just kind of seized on a cool supervillain type creature for the show and emphasized it beyond what it was in the books. Um, and that, that's a pretty big departure. <laughs> yeah. And the, the time, like the timeline is, is very weird. Um, because so they talk about the long night that lasted for a hundred years, but then that's not necessarily when the night King came into being. And in the books, uh, the others existed before the Night King existed. And like the origin of the Night King was that he was a Lord Commander on the wall and he fell in love with a female White Walker who we have obviously, as far as I can tell, has never been seen in the show. Um, and then, you know, they did whatever they did and he became the Night King um, and somehow came into control of the others. And one thing so in the are, book... Are, when you say the others, is that the same as the non- Night King White Walkers or are you talking about the Whites or something else entirely? It's not entirely clear. Um, in the books it's more general. It's like they just call them the Others or the Others Beyond the Wall. Um, and it's not... Uh, you haven't seen them really enough in the books to know what the delineations are. Like if it's kind of like, you know, to borrow a metaphor, it's like, you know, White Walkers are the officers in the army and the Whites are the enlisted men. Um, so you don't you don't really know as much about them yet in the books. Um, but one thing kind of lending credence to your theory is that Nan, who was like the wet nurse of all the Stark kids used to tell them stories about the white Walker. And she told them that, uh, the night King used to be a Stark and was somehow related to one of the old brands, either brand, the builder who built the wall or brand, the breaker, I forget what his deal is. Anyway, there's a lot of along with Brendan Builder. (laughs) Probably not, but it's interesting because one of the crazy, like you said, one of the crazier theories is that um, Bran keeps going back in time to stop the Night King. Like one theory is that Bran, the Builder, who built the wall, is actually our Bran, who has gone back in time to try to stop everything from happening. And the theory I read today was that he's done it so much that he actually becomes the Night King. I'm not really sure how that would work. But it was interesting. Yeah, yeah, I've seen a few of those things. Uh, yeah, Bran is Bran the Builder, or Bran is the Night King. Um, but yeah, I don't, th- I don't suspect that's the case either. I think that that would be too far, and certainly, like again, that would just be like such an expansion of that aspect of the plot that they were, they would have no time to get to at all. Like they have not even hinted about any of that, and they've barely shown Bran doing anything with his powers. Um, one second, I'm gonna step away. I. There might be food burning in my kitchen. I'll be okay. <laughs> so yes, uh, you were saying so. Yes, Bran the Builder being Bran being the Night King, or just one of those, or both of those. Um, I could see like I like Bran the Builder is like a little bit more plausible to me just because of the uh, Hodor situation. Um, mm-hmm. But I still think it's just too far afield for them to try to go within the within the story they have available to them. I think they're real. I think they have to focus on the the present, and they can't go super far back into the past uh, with with the time they have remaining on the show. Yeah, it seems like unfortunately, it seems like they can't get into any super complex explanations of things. Like I've given up them sort of giving a definitive answer of the origin of the Night King. Like maybe they'll do like a. 10 minute flashback or something that kind of gives briefly, but I don't think we're ever going to get a full explanation out of the show for a lot of things um, just because of the time constraints and however much time they have left and all the stuff that presumably still needs to happen. All right, let's, let's uh, fully shift into prediction mode. Um, I think we we've touched, we've, we've, we've talked about the night King. I think we've got that 
checked off the list. Mm-hmm. Um, so, first of all, there's going to be this big meeting in the finale. Um, what are the major things that are going to happen at the meeting? So let's say every all the major players, let's say everyone gets th- together. So that means everybody who went uh, north of the wall, except for, I think... Um, uh, what's his face? Giants Bane and um, Barrick are staying at Winterfell, but everyone else on that journey is going to King's Landing. Um, which is too bad because I really wanted uh, Tormund and Brienne to have more time together on screen. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. That was that was my favorite part of the uh, the most recent episode was the the banter at the beginning when uh, everyone was kind of pairing off and and having some fun asides and uh, yeah that was I'm glad he they, it's not just uh, you know significant looks uh, that he's casting her way they they really spelled it out that he wants her babies uh, so that was good G- giant babies that will take over the world not just any babies <laughs> giant <Yes>. ginger babies <laughs> absolutely um, but yeah so. Uh, so assuming everyone goes there, they bring the white with them. Uh, what, what do you think is going to happen in the finale? Well, one of the things actually I noticed about the, the preview for next episode is they actually don't show any shots of Daenerys being there. So Tyrion, you see shots of Tyrion, you see shots of John, you see shots of Cersei and Jaime, and then obviously the Unsullied and the Dothraki Horde show up at some point, or they're like waiting outside, which presumably means that Daenerys is there, or else why would those guys be there? But you never actually see a shot of her interacting with anyone else at the meeting. And I'm sure she's going to be there. I just thought it was interesting that they didn't include that at all. But, but, main prediction for the season finale, the thing that all fans have been clamoring to see Forever. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Click game ball. Click game ball. Click game ball. Yes, definitely. Go ahead and expand on that. Okay, so for those of you who do not watch the show or read the books or are totally uninterested, uh, now is the time Clegane, to stop listening. Right? Or have to to <laughs> I'm not sure why you're listening to this at all, but in case you're still here, so Sandor Clegane. Uh, the Hound and Sir Gregor Clegane, the Mountain, now a giant undead creature called Sir Robert Strong, um, are brothers and did terrible, terrible things to each other. The reason that the Hound's face is scarred is because his brother shoved his face into a fire and held it there. Um, which is interesting because they actually kind of have been reestablishing that fear of fire again in the yeah, last they episode. Yeah, with the, uh, the giant flaming undead bear, yeah. Right, and he just kind of froze. So I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if fire is going to play some part in the finale and in Clegane Bowl. Like, is he going to overcome his fear of fire? Is there going to be more wildfire somewhere still around? I'm not sure if Cersei used all of the wildfire to blow up the Great Sept of Baelor last season or if there's still some around. Um, but yeah, so fans have been clamoring for these two to fight each other. Uh, basically since the very beginning. So it's been this theory that they're, they call Clegane Bowl, which is the mountain that rides and the hound fighting each other to the death. And I think it's going to happen. And I think it's going to be kind of awesome. And do you think it will provide a satisfying conclusion to Clegane Bowl for fans or will it be super depressing and we'll see another head explode like a melon? <laughs> I'd like to think that it's going to be satisfying, but if I had to lay odds, it's probably going to be pretty disappointing. I think the fight itself will be cool. Kind of like, um, when Oberon and Sir and, um, and the mountain were fighting, like the actual fight itself was pretty cool. Uh, you know, the choreography was great and, um, everything like that. But yeah. And then he just exploded that dude's head. I will um, say, um, the hound is not likely to showboat once he thinks he's beaten the mountain. Uh, so, so he won't make the exact same mistake as Oberon. Uh, that's, that's for sure. That's true. Uh, yeah, I fear that it'll go badly, but yeah, I think so far this season, it's mostly been fan servicey and not too depressing and no one super important has died. So either they will continue that trend, um, or they'll just completely reverse it and kill the hound, and that would be that would suck. Um, one quick question: When you were going through his names, so his name is now Sir Robert Strong. 
Yeah, I think so. Are they or... pretending he's a different person? Are they like, oh, you, you think this is a mountain? No, this is Sir Robert Strong. This is not the mountain. This is, you don't. <laughs> this is... It seems like they want to keep the fact that he's an undead giant a secret, but no one actually believes it. It just provides yeah, that them doesn't it's seem... like, like plausible deniability, basically. Because um, they introduce him as a new person that has come into the Queen's service. But everyone's like, no, the only person we've ever seen that that's big, it's, that has ever been that big has been Gregor Clegane. Um, so I don't know who you're trying to fool. Yeah, I didn't catch that they were trying to pass him off as a different person. I forgot. I, th- I just, you know, obviously I knew he was a mountain the whole time. And I didn't realize that they were like really doing the worst that sounds like like a trump level lie yeah. <laughs> uh, no it's this different person look at his new shiny armor and he yeah. wears a mask and gregor clickane never wore a mask whoa yeah so um yeah i agree that that they're definitely the fight is going to happen and i think they're going to do something with fire maybe cersei will you know see that the mountain is losing and then do something with fire to to swing the odds in the mountain's favor or something um but but i agree that that is definitely the number one thing the other big thing obviously cersei has some sort of trap she has to um so she will try to kill or screw over everyone who's converging um so do you think that will succeed or do you think that will backfire on her i i think obviously at some point cersei has to die i I think it might be this episode, um, but I... Do you think Do you think this is when Jamie kills her? Yeah, I think that's kind of... Like, maybe the third time's the charm with him, like, not, like, being reminded of the Mad King. So, obviously, when she blew up the Sept uh, with Wildfire, that was uh, exactly like the Mad King threatening to do um and was planning on doing and when he saw the dragons destroying everyone on the loot train uh you know i'm sure he had flashbacks to the mad king so maybe now the third time if she threatens to let people on fire or actually lights the hound on fire maybe that makes him snap and he, he says you know you will not be the next mad king and is a queen slayer as well slash kin slayer slash twin slayers just, just slayer yeah he gets the most metal name ever for the show <laughs> yeah, just slayer yeah, yeah he just gets a big like yeah the the jagged s carved in his breast piece um <laughs> so yeah i think i think if i think he's likely to snap and try to or successfully kill cersei probably mm-hmm. uh what do you think happens with Littlefinger and sansa and Arya? <sighs> that one's tougher um, I could see that going a lot of ways. I, I don't, I mean, you know, obviously they're setting up Arya to want to kill Sansa and I don't think that is really going to happen. Um, I mean, well, yeah, you know, yeah, like I, you said, yeah. Arya is obsessed with vengeance, especially vengeance against people that are responsible for murdering her family. So I don't think she would go that far as to actually murder a family member. She like kills her family and then adds herself to her list and then kills herself. <laughs> right. The most depressing way for the show to end. <laughs> All right. It's just uh, like, well, guess it's my turn. Oh, yeah. well. Yeah. So I think either Arya will do her superpower assassination on him or, or Sansa will, will kill Littlefinger. I think one of them is killing Littlefinger this episode. Um, yeah, I I can totally see that. It would be interesting for Sansa to kill Littlefinger. Cause she never, I, I, she hasn't killed anybody, right? As far as I can recall. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, should she? Uh, what happened with the escape from Ramsay? Um, she didn't. It was Theon that pushed him, right? Uh, yeah. And yeah, so, um, she obviously watched him get eaten alive by dogs. Which was a very satisfying uh, but, death. Yeah, that was that was pretty good. Um, but yeah, so I don't I don't think she has blood on her hands exactly. Um, the closest being Ramsey, but not not there yet. So I think she does it. I think she does it with the dagger, you know, full circle. Mm-hmm. Um, I maybe maybe they figure out that, or maybe Bran, who knows everything, <laughs> tells them <laughs> that Littlefinger put the hit out on him with this dagger. And then she does it, and she kills him with the dagger that he had used to try to assassinate Bran. I don't know, um, but it's humorous how little, 
helpful information Bran has provided, given that he is essentially omniscient. Right? He came looking for John. He's like, I have all this important stuff to tell John, presumably about his parents. And if he can warg into anyone at any time, like he could have just easily warged into someone that's close to John and like, oh, hey, you're actually the heir, true heir to the Iron Throne, just to let you know, have a good yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, he could have warged to like John's childhood and told him when he was like five years old. Like, he could have done anything. Uh, yeah. So Bran, obviously one of the most magical people in this fictional universe and yet just so useless and annoying. <laughs> just wants to talk about how he knows everything and be real creepy and unhelpful to his siblings. And remind them of the terrible things that have happened to them and talk about how pretty they looked when those terrible things were happening to them, which was yeah. so creepy. Um, next big item on the list is uh, obviously John and Daenerys uh, had some very meaningful looks and and hand stroking uh in in episode six so are they going to uh become an item in this episode and how do you feel about that given that she is his aunt oh boy um so one of the the theories that was running around on reddit was actually like a, like a whole plot outline for this entire season, which has been accurate in some ways and non-accurate in the others. They're saying like the last thing that happens in this season is the two of them hooking up and somehow that causes or is happening at the same time as the wall coming down. Um, which is like the so- biggest climax. <laughs> <laughs> you said it, not me. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> oh boy uh so yeah i think i think it's going to be one of the last things that happens this season maybe um the reason you don't see daenerys is because she shows up late and it's like mm. after cersei pulls whatever trick that she pulls and she somehow saves john again and that leads to them hooking up um even though she is as we now know his full blood aunt um so, Which has not uh, stopped the Targaryens in the past. Um, no, granted, yes. They have a history of always marrying into the same family. It's kind of assumed that one of the reasons that the Mad King was mad was because of centuries of inbreeding, though it does not seem to have affected like any of his kids like Rhaegar or anybody else. Uh, Viserys, or what's, Ver- what's the problem? Oh, yeah. That? He was not great. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I forgot, yeah. I forgot about him and the the crown of molten gold. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they're obviously going to get together and obviously they're going to have a kid together because they just like real, real heavy handed with the, I can't have kids. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, you give this to your kid with a sword. Um, they were, they were not subtle with the, uh, progeny references in episode right. six. So they're, they're clearly the dragons are my children. Yeah. So that's going to happen. Obviously, I don't expect that to happen episode seven. Uh, <laughs> unless they're really no. just going crazy with the timeline. Um, but, uh, but, and I don't know if, and I don't know enough about the um, lore of the show. Um, uh, so Jason Concepcion said that, you know, there's reason to suspect that just in general, Daenerys is incorrect about her thinking that she can't have children um, mm-hmm. because her womb quickened at one point or something. Um, but right. separately, I don't know if if there would be a lower explanation if like maybe she can have a kid if it is with a fellow Targaryen because they're so you know accustomed to inbreeding. Like maybe that would be a, a, an easier pregnancy. But anyway, that's obviously happening. So they're going to hook up this episode and eventually have kids together. Yes. Um. Speaking of weird incestual relationships and the having yeah. of children, do you think yep. that Cersei is actually pregnant? Or do you think that that was just something that she told Jamie in order to get him to calm down about her being crazy? Yeah, I think that is the latter is the case. I don't, and I don't know, maybe she was pregnant and Kyburn terminated the pregnancy with some sort of, you know, 
potions or something. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think she is currently pregnant with Jamie's child. Um, and I don't know if she ever was or, or what, but I don't believe that to be the case. And I don't, and I think that, you know, that could be, that could be part of the reveal when he's about to kill her or something. She'd be like, you know, it wasn't your kid or I, you know, I aborted that monster or something. Um, yeah. Something like that could happen right before she dies. Uh, that could, that could be would. part of the, the final straw that breaks the camel's back of Jamie's loyalty. Yeah. Um, what do you, do you think Euron is going to come back? He's, he's been quiet after being the super villain of this season for a while. Yeah. I feel like, Cersei's trick is going to have something to do with Euron. Um, I'm not sure where precisely the meeting is. I know it's like the dragon pit, but I'm not sure how close the dragon pit is to the ocean. I did not look that up before this. Um, God, but feels... Matt. <laughs> Be prepared. But it, <laughs> but it feels like... a very like... serious podcast with a very serious <laughs> podcast name on iTunes. Ooh, I know. I'm going to be on iTunes. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, it feels like after setting him up to be this kind of, yeah, uber supervillain, almost Joker-like character, um, that he has to play some part um, in whatever weird trickery that Cersei has come up with. I would like for him to die this episode too, but I feel like they built him up too much to just bring him back for one episode and kill him in the same episode, so probably that won't happen, but, you know. Yeah. He's going to do something super bad, and he probably won't die, but he should. Um, what do you think is going to happen with the Night King and the dragon? That's a good question. I like your theory about flying over the wall and maybe him flying over the wall is getting around the wall, um, causes the magic to fail. And then I I feel like him going across the wall is the important part. And that will kind of break the spell for everything that's under his control. Although I don't know how that works because it's like Eastwatch by the bay is just a castle by the bay. And presumably he could get into a boat um and go around the wall that way probably like some combination of the dragon and him flying over the wall his magic and the dragon's magic combined the the dragon just breathes fire and just burns it down it's it's a nice wall if the dragon still breathes fire just straight up (laughs) (laughs) straightforward destruction yeah i mean i i don't even know as, yeah, as we established, like we hope that it has ice breath, but I'm not sure how that would take down the wall. Or maybe it's just such an awesome, you know, badass undead dragon that it just bursts through the wall and its natural inherent magicalness breaks through the magic spell that's been keeping everything beyond the wall. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure that wall's coming down in some way or another, or they're going to figure out a way to get around it. Yeah, I think I think that's I think yeah, I think he's flying over and or personally destroying it. So I think he's either going to fly over and that will just make it crumble as soon as it happens um or he will destroy it with the dragon, but I do agree. He is he is traversing the wall and the wall is being destroyed this episode, which you know, that seems like it would be a bad thing for for the people in this in Westeros probably. <laughs> probably. Um uh, I think that those are kind of the main topics that I think could happen this episode. Uh, do you, we, you mentioned before we recorded, uh, there's specifically a list of, uh, likely casualties. Um, do you have any thoughts on, so we've talked a little bit about Littlefinger and Cersei, um, anybody else, uh, on that you are looking out for either, either the mountain and or the hound, um, Definitely one or both of them. Cersei would not surprise me. Um, And depending on how... I guess it kind of depends on how fast they get beyond the wall. Um, It's like maybe the Night's King shows up at at Winterfell to, like, end the thing, and Beric Dendarrion goes out there, and he's like, oh, if I kill, you know, the Night King, which has been totally set up that he's going to try to fight the Night's King one-on-one... Um, yeah. and then just a gets flaming sword. Right. And now he's going like, and now since Thoros is dead, there's no easy resurrection. So it would not at all surprise me if somehow the Night's King made it to Winterfell, Beric to Darien went out there to try to kill him and was quickly dispatched by the Night King. Yeah. I think Beric is gone. You know, they, they mentioned like, Oh, you're on your last life now. Um, so they, they're foreshadowing that I think pretty straightforwardly. Uh, I think he's gone. Hopefully that means that doesn't mean that Tormund is also gone because he's also at Winterfell. I don't think he, I think he's going to make it. Um, 
but I, I hope so. I want him and Ben to have their. Uh, I think so. I mean, I don't think they would bring him along to the meeting with Cersei, considering she's tried to have him murdered many, many times. Um, but again, then again, she's tried to murder everyone many, many times. But Gendry yeah. seems to take it more personally than everybody else. And Tormund has Gendry's Warhammer, right? Yes, because he took it from him when so that he could like, right, so he can sprint to the wall. So yeah, he has to give it back to him, and then he's he like, here, you need this, and then he'll like kill a bunch of White Walkers and stuff. That's that's probably going to happen. Hopefully. <sighs> Um, yeah, so here's my issue. All right. Uh, so I think a lot of these things have been heavily foreshadowed and obviously there's just a level of analysis on this show that is rare, uh, because people are so obsessed with it and the books exist and people have been thinking about it for decades because of the books. So Mm -hmm. mostly the show tries to be surprising and, uh, you know, nihilistic, um, but it can't I don't think it can maintain that as it concludes, especially since I think the showrunners want to be more of a crowd pleaser than George R. R. Martin does. Um, yeah. And so I think the show is going to become much more predictable. Uh, and so it'll be satisfying because it'll be fan servicey, but unsatisfying because it'll be a little more predictable. And so I anticipate as we head into the final season, it is going to be a lot like how I felt about breaking bad, <laughs> which was that everyone freaking loved the finale for breaking bad, but everyone mm-hmm. who read anything about that show knew exactly what was going to happen. Start to finish. Like it was like exactly what had to happen. Um, you know, it, exa- it like even down to like this person has to specifically die with the sugar packets. And you know, like, <laughs> it was like precisely predicted and was set up exactly. And, and it went off without a hitch. Um, like his plan to take down all the, all the people went went down without a hitch. And so mm-hmm. I think the same problem is going to afflict game of Thrones as we come to the conclusion that it's going to be, um, it has been well analyzed and predicted. And so it's going to be a little bit underwhelming when it happens exactly. Although, as I said, most people were very satisfied with the conclusion to breaking bad. And I was pretty disappointed because it was exactly, uh, by the numbers essentially. Yeah, it's I guess it's one of the problems with this these like super popular shows that have these long plot lines that everyone analyzes to death. I mean, eventually they kind of become the victims of their own success in sowing the seeds of what's coming next. Is in the books, it's not everything is quite as foreshadowed exactly. Like I I remember when the red wedding happened on the television show and I realized what was going to happen because I had read the book and I was like, Oh, you guys have no idea what's coming. Um because it was pretty surprising in the book as well. Um, but now that they kind of... I, I think that some of the smaller stuff, when they were working more closely with the George R. R. Martin scripts, distracted you from the main plot things that you knew were probably going to happen or the big beats. Um, so everything's just like, oh yeah, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And, it's, and they're so short on time and they're so so many big things left to go that there's not as much to hide what's going to happen in, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I agree. There's like not room for red herrings, essentially. They just don't have the pages. They don't have the pages that they do in the book. Uh, And so, yeah, I agree that they just don't, they can't throw you off the trail because every scene has to have some significance. Um, it's uh, the, uh, that phenomenon with the rifle at the beginning of the story. Uh, Chekhov's uh, gun. There we go. Yeah, that's what yeah. it is. Chekhov's gun every episode. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's what's happening, I think. Yeah. Agreed. So we'll see. Uh, do you have any other uh, outlandish theories or, uh, or not so outlandish theories for the overall arc of the show? Uh, one of my friends has this crazy theory that I've never seen anywhere else um which is that ned stark is actually alive and will somehow come (laughs) back to like save everybody because they they, and and the weird thing is like it actually has some basis because both Arya and sansa were like i didn't get a good look at the guy that got beheaded or Arya kind of got a look at him and he said it it didn't look like dad or whatever so they kind of have set it up like his face Right, exactly. Right. Yeah, and they look at the statue that doesn't look like him. So, I mean, there are seeds there, and I suppose it's possible that Varys, in some like fit of honor, 
managed to hire a faceless man to take his place or like they found someone that just kind of looked like him and beat the shit out of him and then beheaded that guy. So I suppose it's possible and it would be one hell of a turnabout because like, you know, Ned's death was the first inkling that people had like, this is not your normal show. Anyone can die at any moment. And then to completely turn that on its head somewhere at the end would be pretty cool. That would be crazy, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, that would be nuts. I, I, I would like that. That would be enjoyable because it would be so surprising and out of nowhere. But uh, that, that does seem far-fetched at this time. Yes, it does. <laughs> I Speaking of uh, Varys, uh, somebody... <laughs> And it's it was back when the show cared about like travel times and things, but I saw a theory on the internet that Varys was like a merman um, because of something about him like swimming really far or something, and I thought that was hilarious. That would be funny if they suddenly introduced the com the, the concept of mer people. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I, I I mostly most of my more outlandish ones are with Bronn. Uh, brand sorry and uh you know brand the builder versus the night king and and that sort of thing so i don't i don't think i have any other crazy fan theories uh that we haven't already discussed but uh yeah and, and the little finger thing would be pretty weird too if sansa was already posing as little finger but yeah you know, those are the big ones yeah other than that i think we've gone through most of the fan favorite and kind of crazy some some of them very crazy theories in a scant hour and six minutes, I think we talked about uh, season seven relatively thoroughly. I think so. Well, then I think I might uh, might wind it down. Uh, I think I think it's been a lovely chat, Matt. Thank you for your time, your generosity, and uh, hope we can we can chat again after after the finale has happened. Yeah, thanks for having me. Bye, everybody. Bye.